All right, let's begin again from the book of John chapter 16. Let's just start from verse 25 so that we can go on to verse 33, which is where what I really want to bring out from, uh, bring out for us today is taken from. The Lord Jesus was speaking. He said, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language or speech, but we tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has come already, or has already come, for you to be scattered, each one to his own home, and to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Now please follow verse 33. I told you that's where I was going. I just decided to take it in context. That's why we began from that verse 25. Said so these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Please notice that the Lord Jesus said, take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, let's read one more portion of the scriptures from the New Testament. Revelation chapter 2. You see this, all right, listed quite a, quite a few times. I don't know whether I should even bother reading it for us, whether I should read, but because you, if anyway, let me just refer to it. If you read from Revelation, every time that Jesus will speak, send a letter to the churches, he will always tell them concerning overcoming. That is, you see like in verse um, 7 of chapter 2, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, if you go to verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You go to verse 17, he says the same thing. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. In like manner, you go to verse 26, the same thing is there. And he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. You go on to chapter 5, in verse 5, he says, He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And what does it mean to confess somebody's name? When Jesus confessed your name, just, for, uh, just quickly, let me just drop that. What it means is that the father will listen to you. It means the angels will obey your words. What the father did was to confess the name of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He now said what? Listen to him. So when Jesus said, I will confess your name before my father, 
that was going to be the privilege that was going to confer upon the people that he does that for. Verse 12, he says that he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him, he was saying, my new name. And then in verse 21, he says the same thing. Um, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me. Now, that's what we analyzed some time ago. To, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and I sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I decided to read all of these verses to show that every church he wrote a letter to, he told them the target is that they must what? Overcome. The aim is to overcome. And he said, we read that earlier, that from that John chapter 16, he said, be of good cheer, I have also overcome. That is what I did at the end of everything was to overcome. God has called us as believers in Christ Jesus to be what? Overcomers. Please give me a moment to talk about that before I get into my message, this overcomers issue. Bear this in mind. Challenges will come in life. Every challenge is giving you the opportunity to become what? An overcomer. How you respond to that challenge will decide whether you are overcoming or you are... Please, you know I invent English once in a while. So let's invent this one again for today. Or you are undercoming. Are you getting my point? Of course, what about undercoming is that you are failing. What it means is that you are disappointing the purpose of God. That's what we mean by uh, not overcoming. That is the opposite of overcoming. What God wants is for us to overcome. You know, because my children and I, the family, we, we, we discuss scriptures once in a while, quite often. So over the last few days, we've been talking about relying on God. Okay, so that's what brings this story again to my mind. In fact, today, in our devotion this morning, we took time out to read that portion because it was so beautiful. We've read it many times before, and that's on Second Chronicles. All right, we read the story of Asa. Now, Asa, when he took over as king, Asa, you know, um, which one do I, you know, is instituted a lot of um, um, revival in the land. So, for that reason, for 35 years, there was peace, all right, for Asa. Asa won all his battles. Everybody around became afraid of Asa. God gave him victory. Asa was at rest. Then, sometime at the, in the 36th year of his reign, Asa was the king of Judah. You remember that? Now, Basha was the king at that time of Israel, in the 36th year of Asa's reign in Judah. Basha now decided that he was going to attack um, Judah. Now, Basha got that confidence, because if you read the story about the armies of Israel, even though they had not fought for 35 years now, Asa had a very good army. So, Basha had confidence to attack Asa only because he had an alliance with um, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. So, we know the story. Something we all know. We all can go and read it, all right? Asa now took gold and silver from the temple, sent to Ben-Hadad, and cut a deal. Now, Ben-Hadad was not a man of principle. He was after the money. Since you were bringing more money, he said to him, go and break your agreement with the king of Israel, that's Basha, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad collected the money. Now the gold and the silver were taken from the temple of God. That's what we must bear in mind. And that was what, what made it critically wrong. You took what belonged to God and used it to buy deliverance for yourself. 
God does not accept that. So anyway, the, point, the story about it is this. Asa now, um, he got his result. Of course, Ben-Hadad did what Asa said. Asa got his result. Ben-Hadad took um, his armies and attacked Israel, thereby saying to Basha, in effect, our deal is off. Are you getting my point? And Israel had to go back, Basha had to go back and defend his cities that were being attacked by Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Now, the point about it is that, basically, Ben-Hadad was saying to Basha, we don't have a deal anymore. So Basha left. Now, that freed Asa. Now, all this story is not the gist. The real gist was that after Asa got his victory through this method, I think we should read that quickly. Open to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Please, I hope you are following that story. It's an interesting story. Sometimes it's, these Old Testament stories, we should just read them. They are very beautiful stories. In fact, this morning my wife asked a question. You're just like, what was a, um, Jehoshaphat doing? Moving with Ahab. Do you know we had another long story from that? Now, why didn't he refuse? I said, now, you have to choose your friends. I was telling my children, anyone who does not love the Lord cannot be your friend. Because she was concerned that good man, he got into trouble. I said, yes, he was hanging with the wrong person. And the prophet told him, why will you love those who hate the Lord? That's another generation after this one. Let's get back to this, our story of Asa. Chapter 16. Asa got his result. Look at verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of, Is- of Aram, Aram and Syria, the same thing, I hope you understand that. Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Please follow this. He said, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army, very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the earth, so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So what happened was that Asa got his result. The king of Basha withdrew from him, and he had peace. And Hanani came to him. What I wanted to notice here is what Hanani emphasized. You will notice that the prophet did not say to him, because you have relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Israel has escaped from you. He didn't say that. What he said is that the army of the king of Aram, that is Syria, has escaped from you. Now you will remember that it was not Syria or Aram that attacked Judah. Who attacked? Israel. But God said to him that overcomes, the challenge at this point in time in the life of Asa was not meant to destroy him. He had some critical enemies around. Now follow this. And the critical enemy he had around was Syria. The army was big. Now, you will see, he said, where the Ethiopians and the Lubim, if you go just a few chapters, you will see when Asa went to battle against one million Ethiopian soldiers. He had less than half of that. And he won the battle. And that was what the prophet was referring to. If you read the story earlier, they just mentioned the Ethiopians. But I believe that the Ethiopians hired the Lubim, that is the Libyans, what we call Libyan now. The Ethiopians and the Libyans, they gathered 
strong army, over a million man strong. And Asa said to God, no one can deliver from these people apart from you. Let me just look at that particular scripture. Just the preceding chapters. Verse 11, chapter 14. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides thee to deliver in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in thee. And in thy name have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. The Bible says in verse 12, So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now, are you noticing that? This was 35 years or 36 years before the one we're reading in chapter 16. That was what the prophet was referring to. That you had a great army at that time. You relied on God. He helped you out. Right now, there is another army that's locking around an enemy. Now listen to this. I, God, I have instigated them to gather against you. Basha was not the problem God was trying to solve. It was who? Ben-Hadad, king of Aram or Syria. That was the problem that God was trying to solve. But the challenge came upon Asa. Asa, instead of following, now follow this. This was the method you used before that worked. You prayed. Be careful that your heart does not backslide. It's a major problem in life. Over time, we have this tendency to backslide, especially when we have been at peace for a very long time. That's why you hear the Bible talk about a generation that did not know war. When people have been at peace for a long time, they misbehave. They backslide. The challenges of life, God allows them to toughen you up, really not to destroy you. Like we're talking about the world now. Talking about the corona, the pandemic, and all of that. The last time the world suffered this was a hundred years ago. Immediately after the First World War, 1918 and 1919, there was a Spanish flu pandemic. So virtually nobody, well, not, not nobody, yes, no adult now witnessed that one. There was one woman that recovered in Italy. They said, wow, her own is phenomenal because she's 102 years old and she recovered. Now, this one has been killing elderly people a lot. That she was about a year or two when the last one happened. That's the last pandemic. So she lived through that first one and has lived through this second one. It's a phenomenal achievement in one lifetime, one person. A lot of the pride and arrogance in the hearts of people is that they have not seen the power of God in a long time. So they think that we can do anything. They think we can, there's nothing we want to do we cannot achieve. God said, hmm, your fathers wouldn't tell me this because they saw things. When they see trouble, you understand? So what trouble does sometimes just, it just to help you know your own limitation. Trouble just helps you a lot of times to know your own limitations in life. You thought you were strong. You will see trouble. One day, one of my friends saw this. I think I saw it myself after a while. A woman was on TV. They were asking, do you pray? No, about prayer. Yeah, she prays and prays and prays. But do you pray about money? She said, no, I don't pray about money. When I did money, I go and work. It's an American woman. I smiled. I said, obviously, you have not seen trouble. You've not needed money while you were sick. You've not needed money while the economy was down and there were no jobs. So for you to say you don't pray about money, when you need money and go and work, if you're a child of God, you know what God will do? Say, there's no trouble. Let me explain something to you. Within the next six months, I will give you enough trouble so that you will need money. And when you have needed the money, you will not find a job. 
or you will not be able to do it. Then you will go and pray. God is not angry. Sometimes what God is doing is not angry. He's not angry. He's judging. You've heard me say this before. That God judges spirits. He judges attitudes. He wants to cure us of certain wrong attitudes that we have in our hearts. That's what he's trying to do. That is why people must never be careful. Be very, as a Christian, hold on to your faith. And if anything ever threatens your faith, just know that it's another challenge you must overcome. If anything ever threatens your peace, know it's another challenge you must overcome. Please get this clear. If anything ever threatens you, know it is a challenge you must overcome. Don't take actions until they are actions geared towards overcoming. Please bear what I've, I've said in mind. People, a lot of times, they take actions engineered to escape. No. Your action must be an action of an overcomer. The aim is to overcome. I said God is always judging spirits. In this world, that's what he does. When people are too arrogant against him, he judges them. I am convinced, I have no doubt in my heart, that right now, what God is, is doing is judging the arrogance of man. I just feel like continue, completing that, that portion of it. Many of us have heard of what they call the unsinkable Titanic. Titanic, when did this sink again? How many years ago was that? Say about 100 and something years ago. Eh? 1912. That's when Titanic sank. That's just a little over 100 years also ago. Now, the thing about Titanic again, you know why God sank it? Now, listen. One of our sisters told me, say, Pastor, you don't give the devil any chance. I say, I don't. I don't give him any credit at all. The devil sank Titanic. No, it was God because they threw a challenge at God. They called it ship. It was the biggest, the most luxurious they had. They've ever, the world had ever seen at that time. They called it what? The unsinkable Titanic. And the engineer who built it said, Oh God, there are statements you don't make. Do, look, listen, when you have smoked and you're drunk, and you're on cocaine, and you are dreaming. There are statements you still must not make. Never throw a challenge down at God, because he always answers. The man opened his mouth and said, even God cannot sing the Titanic. There are statements you don't make. Ah, Father God, oh. I pray your children understand. Like I said to Christians, don't struggle some titles with God. If they give you a title that belongs to Jesus Christ, don't take it. If they call it the ultimate father, you know, Allah, you know the Lagos Allah was to do. Father, the ultimate father. Just say, in Jesus' name, shut your mouth. Because if they collect, give it to you and you collect it, God will, de- God will decrease you. There are titles you don't take. Like I told this man, he said in some churches they call the, past, the head of the, the church. High priest. I say, yeah. If they call you high priest, say, no. We are all priests of God. If they even call you senior priest, manage that one. If they call you high priest, they have exalted you to the position of Jesus. He will demote you. When this, these two heavyweight men fought the other day, what are their names? Tyson Fury and Dunton Wilder. Wilder. I'm not really into boxing. And I saw a clip of the walloping of Wilder. You know what I said to myself? I said they should go and test Tyson Fury. That you don't beat a man like this. That they get, unless you smoke something. That is, the way he beat Wilder, I couldn't believe it. So days passed. Somebody now started showing me a clip. It showed me a clip and I heard other things. 
First, I saw the clip of, uh, of uh, Tyson Fury after the fight. First of all, he wants to praise the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave him the victory. Those who dwell in darkness cannot have, can never see in the light. And the beginning of this war cannot overcome those who are in... Ah, this man read out two or three scriptures and was giving God praise. You know, I said they should go and test him, that he must be high on something. He was high on the spirit. I did not know. Now, some of you there, does the Holy Spirit go into boxing fight? If you want to know, go and join a man that's spirit filled in the ring. You will know. I won't say more than that. For your information, one day I watched one man on TV. He ran. His name is uh, Jonathan Edwards. Triple jump man. One Olympic. The guy jumped. And I said, hmm. All these Holy Ghost powered jumps. I saw triple jump. When the guy did this jump, I said, my father in heaven, what kind of jump is this? At the end of, the, of course, he won the gold. They were not intervening at the end of the day. He said, I'm a Christian, so I have to give God the glory. I said, hey, I see this kind of jump. You're either high on drugs or the Holy Spirit inside your body. I found out later that he's a great, great grandchild to the original Jonathan Edwards. Anyway, I want to tell the story. It was afterwards, after the fight, and I heard that Wilder said, even God cannot deliver fury out of my hands. I said, no wonder. So God said, eh. So the Holy Spirit came. <laughs> Possessed fury. That's really beat the devil out of that man. Listen to me. If that man does not go home and repent, he can't win that fight again. You don't raise your voice against the living God. You don't. No, don't. Even when you are joking, don't do it. If you say it jokingly, in that same joke, repent. Because he will always prove you wrong. You know, over the last few years I've been preaching, I said the way the world has been insulting God, he will answer. I said, no. You can't insult a living person this long and he won't answer you. It's not possible. Moses, the meekest of all the men of the earth, after a while, he couldn't take it anymore. I said, this is our God. Unless he is dead, he will answer. One nation after another, they are pushing the knowledge of him away. And I don't say that science is what you need. Don't ever rail against God. He will answer you. I said it to you before. The world is afraid of coronavirus. God said, I have not started. If I don't see repentance, what they will see next, they will be surprised. If you don't want to believe, keep quiet. Stay in your house. Stop preaching. See, you know the people that God, go and read your Bible. One thing, one group of people that, go and check it. I'm not aware he ever forgives them. It's those who stir up rebellion against God. Go and read your Bible. If you stir up rebellion against God, you are going to die. If you stare up, it doesn't care who you are. That you're a Christian is not, is not defense against that. If you stare up rebellion against God, he kills. Doesn't overlook it. Back to what I was trying to say. In this particular instance, I've taken a side trip. Let me get back now. Asa had a challenge. The challenge was not meant to destroy Asa. Two things that challenge was supposed to do to Asa. Number one, first, first of all, it was supposed to stare his face back. 
Because the faith had gone down after 35 years of peace. There was no trouble. That was supposed to, first of all, bring his faith back up. Secondly, it was to eliminate the enemy that was lurking around that he was not really picking a fight with at that point in time. God allowed Basha to enter into that allegiance with um, Assyria, Aram, Ben-Hadad, so that they will now come against Asa. And then Asa will have risen up, prayed about the situation, and then fought the battle, and he will have won. That was why the prophet said to him, you seem to have forgotten 35 years ago thereabout. When you had a similar situation, what did God do? When you relied upon the Lord your God, he delivered that immense army, one million man army, with very many chariots and horsemen. You relied on God, he delivered them into your hand. Why did, listen, no matter how good a Christian you are, that is why you have trouble once in a while. This kind of peace and quietness, there's no trouble. It's not always a reward for being a good Christian. The reason is simple, because you have to overcome. When God wants to take you from one level to another, there has to be a new challenge that will cause you to overcome. I hope you're getting my point here. But our message is about overcomers. I want us to understand something here. Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Well, why I read that is to let us know that that is also what we are supposed to overcome. And every time in life, listen to this, God is looking for what? Overcomers. Let me drop something for you. Anytime you have a challenge in life, first sit down and say, what does overcoming mean in the, under these circumstances? No matter how difficult it is, just ask yourself, what will I have done or what will I have come out of this that the Lord will say, I have overcome? That is what you start praying about. That is, why, that is what you start working towards. Many of us, what the world teaches us, listen, this is the problem. When we have set goals and standards for ourselves that are not the things that God has set, that is what, that's why we miss the purpose of God in everything. Let me quickly say this. In every situation, that's what God is looking for. There's what your father is looking for. There's what you are looking for. There's what people around you are looking for. The discipline of, of Christianity is for you to know what God is looking for and go for that. Let me explain further. We've talked about temptations before. As Christians, we can have temptations in life, as a matter of fact. We can have temptations. Jesus came, he had his temptations. At a point in time, pressure was upon him. Now listen to this. When you are having temptations, people give you counsel. When you have to make decisions, people give you counsel. What you must look out for every time is what is the counsel of God. And this is what we have, we have discussed here before. This is what you will know. This is how you will know a counsel is of God or is not of God. The counsel that is not of God may not look bad. In fact, most ungodly counsel for Christians, they look good. They will look good. Ungodly counsel for Christians will look good. Peter came to Jesus and said, none of these things will happen to you. Listen, let's, don't forget it. I come and tell you that I'm going to die soon. I will leave my wife and my children. And I'm not going to die normally. They will collect me, beat me, 
and then throw my cups on the road. Now listen, let's be honest. A good friend should say, why are you talking this kind of nonsense? You should go behind. No, first tell me to my face, none of these things will happen to you. They now go behind, go and call friends. Say, let us pray. I think Banky has gone mad. I want you to know that was exactly what Peter was doing. Jesus said, I'll, be, I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll be taken, I'll be beaten. I'll be handed over to the Gentiles and they will crucify me. Peter looked like, what kind of, what kind of perverted mind do you have? Which, wishing such a thing on yourself. So just told him simply, one of these things will happen to you. Lie, lie. We will pray for you. It will not happen. Now, the shock of all shocks was that the person he was praying for turned around and looked at him and said, you are a devil. He said, get behind me, Satan. Ah, I'm wishing you well. You are saying, get behind me. The concept is this. Now, and that's what we must bear that in mind. Jesus was teaching at that particular point in time. It is not what benefits you that is the will of God. It is what benefits God that is his will. He said to Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You are setting your mind on the things of man. You have not asked yourself, how does this serve the purpose of God? Many of us are parents. We sit down, we are plotting the, the future of our children. Let's ask ourselves a simple question. Let's be honest. What do we plot concerning? Very few people ask themselves, why was this child given to me? What is his life or her life supposed to produce for God? What we keep looking for is, how will he be safe? How will he make money? How will she make money? How will the person's destiny be established, humanly speaking? What kind of job should he get or she get so that the, the career will be established from the beginning? Very few people, listen, very few Christians actually kneel down and say, God, whatever you want to do with this young boy, young girl's life, let me not be an obstacle. Very few parents ever do that. Even Christian parents who have, they have labor, <coughs> they have fought, they have fought lions for Christ. They don't want their children to come near that. Like that young man would say that, you don't fast, say my father has fasted for us. <laughs> that my father has fasted for the family. What do we need to fast? What I was trying to explain to you. See, all this labor, my father has labor for the kingdom. So that we would not have to labor for the kingdom. Our one is to chop from the kingdom. If you are raising your children like that, one day God will ask you. When Moses was going to die, you know why he was going to die very early in life? He refused to circumcise his son. Go and check that. What saved his life was that his wife quickly circumcised the boy. And when I read that, I realized that God said, when you make dedications and you do the right things concerning your life, I am pleased. But next line, I want you to make the same dedication and things that are pleasing to me concerning things that depend on you, that come out of you, especially your children. In every situation, what do we look for? The interest of God. The interest of God. Please bear that in mind. In every situation, what are we looking for? The interest of God. So if you get, it, you, you get to a crossroads, and do I go left to right and continue going straight? 
It's not which one will benefit me more. It is what? What is the interest of God in this situation? Talking about overcomers. So when God brings challenges our way, that's what I'm going to say. You ask yourself, what am I going to do here that will please God? That's what it means to be an overcomer. What am I going to do here that will please God? That is the prayer you start praying. What decision do I make here that will be pleasing to him? Because challenges will come into your life every time. And you know I said something about what God is looking for? Listen, uh, a lot of people escape to where there is peace. And God said, listen, Asa, that's what you have done. I didn't want, there are two ways peace can come into your life. There's the human way and there's the godly way. Let me say that again. There are two ways peace can come into your life. There's the way of man and then what's what? The way of God. There's the way of man and there's the way of God. And Jesus says something to us. Quickly, let's open this portion of the scriptures. Psalm 118. I'm talking about overcomers. Before Psalm 118, how did Asa get his peace? He got it by taking things that belong to God and using those things to negotiate and give to uh, and get peace. He negotiated with who? Ben Haddad. You know what Hanan said to him? He said, from now on, you will have wars. Let me go over that again. Did the method that Asa chose, did it work? Yes, sir. Did, did Basha leave him? Yes, did he have peace immediately? Yes, but you know what Hanani said to him? From now on, because you did not rely on the Lord, from now on, you will have wars. That's what he said to him. From now on, you will have wars. Listen, let me just say, just look over your life. Anywhere you have gotten peace, the human method, you have to go to that spot and go and repent. You have to. If you don't, the wars, wars are coming in front. You have to go back to that spot and go and re- mention that thing to God. Lord, this was where I got peace using human methods. I did not rely on you. I believe you will have mercy. The only thing is that his mercy is very funny. Sometimes his mercy cannot wipe that thing away entirely like that. He gives you an opportunity to go through that same exam again. So that next time you say, dear Lord, please if I want to die here, let me die here. But I will not collect peace that you did not give to me. When God gives peace, it lasts. It lasts. It lasts. As I got his peace immediately, but Hanani told him that from now on you have wars. I was not just him. You are going to have wars. Your children will have to start fighting wars. These are battles you may not have had to fight, that your children may not have had to fight. I wanted you to clear all of these things. Look, David fought and fought and fought. Solomon did not have to fight such battles. He had time to face something else. The wars that Hassan had, the next war he had was his health. A few years after that, he got a saw in his foot. He got a saw in his foot. And he was so used to human help. It was from one doctor to another. There's one doctor in Sierra Leone. He went there. There's one in South Africa. He went there. There's one in um, India. He went there. Went to the one in UK. Currently, he's in Australia looking for doctors. Asa. There are wars you have. You know this is a war following the last war. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. The Bible says, even then, he did not seek God. Let me say something, eh? brethren. Join me in one thing. Stop chasing the devil. 
You know why? Why I said join me? I don't chase the devil. I don't have the time. I don't have time for the devil. I don't know when last I rebuked the devil in my life. I don't know when last. Maybe I do once in a while out of the force of habit, but I'm not sure. If things go wrong with me, I face my God. I say, God, what happened? You know what I'm going to say this? When Asa was sick, the Bible says he did not seek the Lord. He should have gone to God and said, listen, God, I know where this began from. After many years of peace, I stopped relying on you. That's, that is what he should have tried to solve. After many years of peace, I've stopped relying on you. Do you know what? If he had gone to God and prayed like that, you know what would have happened? It's not the first time. What happened to Ezekiah? Was not the same sickness? Ezekiah prayed to God. They told Ezekiah, you will die, you will not live. And then he prayed to God. And God told them what to do. And the man lived. And he did not die. If Asa had gone to God to go and repent for the times that he has stopped that he refused to rely on God and said, God, help me. Teach me to rely on you again. The man was jumping from one physician to another. Eventually, he died in the process. They ch- Listen, I, w- I said something. There are two ways you get peace, right? Good. Let's just read the scripture I said we should open to. Talking about overcomers. Psalm 118. Two scriptures we are going to read there. Psalm 118, first of all. Then we'll go to Matthew chapter 7. He said, open to me. That- I'm in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, and thou hast become my salvation. What I want you to bring to to notice there, what I want to bring out, notice this in verse 19. It said, there are different gates. Open to me the gates of righteousness. That is the one I want to enter through. He said, this is the gate of the Lord. It is the one that the righteous enter through. That's the one they enter through. Quickly bear that in mind. Then go to Psalm, um, quickly go to Psalm, um, that's your Psalm. Matthew, sorry, chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. From verse 13, the Lord Jesus said, whatever you want to enter, enter by the narrow gate. Bear that in mind. Verse 13, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Now, please notice what we are bringing out here. The two of them are saying the same things, the same thing. Matthew chapter 7 here, the Lord Jesus was speaking, and David was speaking in that Psalm 118. There are different ways you get into, today we are are dividing them into two. If you want to enter into anything, I want you to understand something here. Jesus did not speak specifically about what you enter. He spoke about two things. One, that is what you are trying to enter. He said you have a choice. You either enter through the gates of God, or you enter through what? The broad one. David said, open for me the gates of God. Jesus said, the gate is small, if it's the gate of God. The way is narrow, that leads to life. And few are those that find it. What does it mean when he says it is narrow? 
It means you squeeze through it to be able to get through it. To pass through it, you have to squeeze. Now, he said that is the gate of God. Now, what you will find at the end of the day is that you will find life. What does that mean? He did not talk about what we are entering. He wasn't talking about whether you are entering life or death. What he meant is this. What do you want to enter? You want to enter prosperity. Ask yourself, which gate will I use? I hope you get my point. You want to enter success in ministry. You will ask, of these gates that are available to me, which one will I use? There's something I found in ministry, of course, because I'm a preacher. I've seen this a lot. Should I start these stories now? I don't know. You know there are funny stories. You wonder how you want to start. Anyway, make a long story short. I've seen people try to rise in ministry. You know the method they use? They're always looking for how to connect. Connect with big men. Connect with big ministers. Show off to big ministers so that those ones can, you know, can give them platforms. Can open a branch and post them there. Several times people have come to me before. I've, I'm thinking about two in my mind now. And like, ah, Pastor Banky, we want to learn from you. If I want my actually say that God said, I should go and learn from you. Stop saying God said. Just come and do what you want to do. Because sometimes you open your mouth and indict yourself. Just do what you want to say, do. <laughs> this is just my personal counsel. Just do what you want to do. This one of blaming God. Relax. Because I saw the man once. Then I didn't see him again. Then one day my wife said, ah, you came and told my husband that God said you should come and learn from him. So why does he not see you anymore? He started talking like this, talking like this. My wife dragged him to the side and said, sit down. Let me make a long story short. This is going to jeopardize your political career in ministry. Is that not so? He admitted it. So he said, okay, leave it. I just thought about it. Now, you know the same man has lost his, he has lost his place in ministry. He wanted to stay where he could be promoted. And right now, it's gone. I just realized it now as I'm telling you this. I looked at people, I said, you're very interesting. You, know? you opened your mouth and said, that's as people be afraid when people say, God said, God said. And then, of course, let me, let me say, you know, I was saying something to you earlier. The gate of God, Jesus said is what? Is narrow. And few are those that find it. The one that most people find is very broad. He now said, listen to this. As I was saying to you earlier, David said, there are gates. Show me the one that is of God. Now, both Jesus and David did not tell you what you are looking for. They just said gates. That's why I said, everything you are looking for in life, there's a gate into it. There are gates into it. You have, this is the discipline of Christianity. You exert yourself to make sure that the gate you are using is the gate of righteousness. Let me take politics as an example. You want to go into politics? You want to win political office? I mean, you want to win elections? You want to attain to political office? There are different ways. I'm not teaching details about politics now, but whatever you are doing, scrutinize every method to make sure it is a method of God. Because Jesus said, if you use the broad way, connecting with men, you know, sharing your conscience, buying justice, you know, thereby perverting justice. 
doing all of those things, you will still get the political office you are looking for. Because that's one gate. Jesus didn't say you won't get it. That's the mistake we make. We think that if we disobey God, it will not work. I don't know what I heard I said. People assume that if I disobey God, it will not work. If I obey God, that is, if it works, God is pleased with it. No, that's not true. Many times it works, God is not pleased. For Asa, it worked. God was not pleased. I hope you're getting my point. For Asa, it worked, but God was not pleased. So, now what the Lord was saying is this. So, when I have entered into whatever it is I want to enter, whether it's political office, whether it's prosperity, whether it's marriage, Whatever it is, when I have entered using a particular gate, what that thing will produce for me is determined by the kind of gate I used. I don't know what I hear what I said here. That is, if I entered into ministry through the broad gate, that ministry will produce death for me. It can first produce for me a big church. It can first produce for me international fame. It can first produce for me papa, papa. You know what I mean by papa? Everywhere I go, papa. Papa, everybody's worshipping at my feet. Everywhere I go, oh, man of God, here is an offering for you, $10,000. Then I come and be giving testimonies. Praise God. I have tapped into the key of abundance. Every, look, listen. Because you are getting plenty of money, you can be talking nonsense. You know, when you are rich, you, you buy the right to talk rubbish. Did they, I don't know what I got on this day. They are not blessed anyway, they are just enjoying it. You just be talking anyhow. One day I saw one man, did a, he did a long series of teach, teachings. All of us went to get a tape on money. After listening to two, I couldn't get to the third tape. I told myself, this brother does not know what he's saying. That is preaching as a man who, does, who knows nothing about prosperity. After a while, I just laughed at myself. I, I shook my head, threw away the tapes. I said, obviously, you have gotten money, you don't know how it came. You don't have the anointing to teach your money. Just leave it. You want to cause confusion. What if you're not telling us how high it's so easy to make money, it's so easy to do this, it's so easy to do that? I was looking at it, bro. I said, it's not your fault. You know, I can, if somebody comes and dashes me two billion naira, I can come and preach on finances. Praise God. How to invest in real estate. You think I'm the one that owns Copen? You think LM Estate not my property? It's not my fault. You know, I sat at home, somebody dashed me two billion. Talking about strategies for keys to investment. My money came free of charge. So I tell money gives you the right to talk nonsense. If any rich man is talking, be very careful. Look at him carefully. He may have bought the right to talk for, by being rich. That is what happens when you enter into things not by the proper gates. Ministry can, you can get to that point. You've entered by a particular gate. Everything has opened to you. But you know what God said? I, of course, Experience is teaching me again, even though the word has taught us clearly. In this life, God will prove himself right. Are you getting my point? If he says that the broad way leads to destruction, anything you enter by the broad way, you will find destruction inside. You can never prove him wrong. If you're a believer, you enter into that prosperity by the broad way. Inside that, you will find destruction. There is no repenting, no, and then keeping the prosperity. You have to go back. Wash your hands of the prosperity. Go back through that gate and go and enter a gate through a tight gate. 
Sometimes people want to disobey God, then when they get there, they pay him off. Let me preach to you again today, it does not work. We are talking. About, we are doing a particular series now. I'm still explaining some things that are not connected with the series. But listen to this. The people that God wants to use, he prepares them to get to every place he needs them to be through the narrow gate. You see, many people that you know who have arranged ministry through the broad gate, they have declared to God how useless they are to him. When he wants to do his mighty work, he, he will not find them useful. Tell people, not only ministers, I was going to say tell people who are in ministry. But I think it's every Christian. Bear one thing in mind. Make up your mind from the beginning. That if it is to die, I must die. That is, I'm already dead. Make up your mind from the beginning. I am not doing these things that I'm doing because I'm hoping that God will do something back for me in return later. I'm just doing this because I'm a man, woman, dead to myself who is only existing for God. If you don't start like that, you will enter broad gates. If you don't start like that, I hope you're getting my point, you will enter broad gates to get into things. You will not understand that each time there is what God is looking for. Many times God takes a particular point. You know, it just is a testing season. Let me see the gate you will use. The gate of God is tight. Let me tell you what it means by tight. What, what it means by tight. What the Bible says, when it says tight, it's narrow. It's straight. It can just say straight. It means that to pass through, you squeeze. So often from a distance, it doesn't look passable. I don't know whether I get my point. If you look too small to squeeze through, but you will look to your left and look to your right and realize that is the only way that God has made available. Let me say this to you. Those who pass through his gate. He's waiting at the other end, behind the gate, to use them for what he has proposed. They are the ones he finds useful. We're talking about ministers again. It's a point will come as a minister. You just realize, look, God will say the only work, in fact, let me just tell this story. Testimony of Kenneth Higgin. Before I give the testimony, let me finish my statement. There are times you make up your mind that the only work I want to do for God is this small work? Because that's the one you think he has given you. That one will not produce anything big. It won't produce fame. won't produce anything. I'll give two people stories, all right, as an example. I'm going to give a Ken Hagen. You know, all our lives, when I was young, those days, I thought Ken Hagen just started ministry the other day. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Once I started hearing Ken Hagen, ah, where did this man come from? Where did this man come from? Where did this man come from? He... Then years later, we began to listen to Kenneth Higgin and hear the inside story. Only to find out, we heard Kenneth Higgin for the first, I heard Kenneth Higgin for the first time around 19, I read his book, 1985, there about 86, 85, 86, my first encounter with him. Then we began to hear his message a few years down the line, you know, the audio tapes. Then we just assumed that it's maybe one young minister in America. Do you know that, Matt? When, when did the Second World War end? 45? Is that not 45? Yeah, 45. He was preaching before the Second World War. He would tell you stories how as a preacher. They gave him certain coupons to buy fuel. Preachers were taken as essential services. He would tell his story during the war. That is, by the time we were hearing Ken Hagen for the first time, he had been preaching for over 40 years. That's not the main story. Remember Bible Training Center started 
sometime in the early 70s. By which time, Kennedy Hagin had been preaching for over 30 years. You know, most of us want to start Bible training center. After church, don't blow. 10 years after, you know, 10 years after ministry starts, we don't open branch, open Bible training, open. I'm not saying it is bad, you know, sometimes maybe that's your own calling. I don't know. But I'm talking about Kenneth Hagin. You know what happened to them? He and his wife thought. They went to, they, they had their headquarters somewhere. So they let them settle down. They had been in ministry for a long time, maybe up to 40 years. I'm not very, 30 something to 40 years. So Novel Hayes asked his wife, what's going on? She said, no, we just want to start a small school taking about 10 to 20 students at a time to teach them the experiences that they had had over the last 30, 40 years of ministry so that they will know something. You know that kind of, let me just impact some people. Just a small school attached to their ministry headquarters and all of that. He said, as she was saying it to Nova Hayes, the man said, oh no, what I see is a campus. Then he began to describe what he was seeing. And the woman was saying, no, 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 it's not possible. Father God, please, now, no, don't do this to us. Don't do this to us. Don't do this to us. I don't know whether I get my point. As the man was prophesying, she was rejecting it. <laughs> that no. How long is that? I can't do this all over again. No, God, please don't do this to me. No, can't I have some peace in my life? <laughs> Having been in ministry for over 30-something years, that was when God opened the door for the first time for them to start Remember Bible Training Center. That was late 70s, yes. Because 79, around 77 or 79, was when the first class, two years each person stays, the first class graduated, I think 77 or 79, I'm very sure now, I'll confirm that later. And that's when this man was in that class, this South African preacher, Ray McCauley. That was when they graduated, you know. Now, this man has been in this for a long time. Do you know the truth? That Rima Bible Training Center, now they have Rima alumni worldwide. They've trained thousands of thousands of thousands of people. The man... That began after they settled for the much they had done. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It wasn't big. The man had just been moving around here and there, doing programs, you know, at, um, 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 receiving invitations, at, you know, uh, honoring invitations, organizing seminars. Then one day they said, let us settle down. And as you, that was a plan they had. 20 students at a time. It became thousands of students at a time. That's why I say as a believer, first make up your mind that you are dead. So that you have, sorry, please forgive me what I want to say. That naturally I have failed in life. I don't exist anymore. I have died. This my certificate is useless. It will not produce anything for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just go away. My own ideas die. I'm a failure in Jesus' name by myself. When you have died like that, you now say, like, uh, what's the name of this woman? Ron Kenoli. You now sing the song. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. You don't come and say, Lord, I have a certificate. I have an MBBS, an MSc, a PhD. Praise God. How can I help you? <laughs> I have these technical skills with which I can move your work forward. I'm an expert in, in informatics. And I, I do very beautiful websites. I'm a genius web designer and an app maker. When you finish like that, God will just take you and throw you. You are useless. But when you have useless yourself and you come to him, say, God, the last 10 businesses I did, they failed. I'm owing money. I've given up on doing business. I won't do anything again. Nothing for me. I'm totally dead. <laughs> Lord, can you use me for anything? Paul said, for me to be able to become what I became, 
I had to count everything I had as dung. What I'm telling you is a matter of fact. Believers, you have to see. Just first know that my friends are driving big cars. I am not going to drive. You know, when Ude and Grace wanted to take vow, I they watched Pastor Murphy mouth. I was just watching. Let me hear them not say for better for us. That I just look like say. If you don't know, okay, I think I got the manual ahead. I went to that page. If I didn't find that for better for us, I was going to call. They say you smoke something. You ask me to come and join join you to join everybody to join you in marriage, and you're not going to put for, for better for us. I reject you in Jesus. I, I was going to cast him out, but I saw that he, they put for better for us. I say yeah, wah, yeah, wah. This is how it's supposed to be. I don't believe in this nonsense vows that says for richer, for richer. If any one of you here took for richer, for richer, go back home. Join your wife's hands. Sweetheart, I'm very sorry. Say after me, she say what? For better, for worse. Eh? Say for better, for worse in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Please, don't take any, rough, don't take any rubbish vows. The vow is what? For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Please take the godly, that is the one God inspired. All this for, from today we shall be one. It's an American way of making the gospel sweet. One of the problems we've had in this generation, we have presented our God as sugar daddy. Yes, you know, daddy, the emphasis on the sugar. Sugar daddy, that's what we have presented God. He just does out money. He just does out sweetness. He just does out, you know, Blessing, pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. You've forgotten his left hand. Uh, you know, I think he's holding his right hand. That's where he kept the cane. We have a generation of preaching that makes it appear like God only, you know, he only does sweet, sweet things. And do you know what? Do you know what? Is one major reason why the world does not fear him. I reasoned about this pandemic that's going on. I said, who even warns the world? Very few preachers do. Whoever told the world that one day, see all of you are, you are basking in your iniquity. Listen to the word of the Lord. The soul that sin it, it shall die. And he will not die by the hand of the devil. He will die by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only a savior. He's a killer too. How did I say it? In my Bible. One day he showed up. People said, we prefer earthquake and rocks falling on us than to face the Jesus that has come. He said, tell that woman, Jezebel, I will cast her on the bed of affliction and I, Jesus, will strike her children dead. Listen, this bless me a little God that we preach is not the true one. The true God has kindness and severity. He has healing and coronavirus. People say coronavirus from the pit of hell. I said, where did the one that killed the Egyptians? Where did it come from? Today, one of my classes was trying to chat something that uh, I started this as a joke. <laughs> no, it's not as a joke. My class they talk a lot, of course, because they are 
Um, all of them, specialist doctors. So they're always writing on calendar. So one, I picked up my phone this afternoon, and I saw a long chat. I saw one that says that, please, they don't understand how healthy young people who are okay suddenly would develop the severe form of this infection and die. So I joked. I said, angel of death does not check how healthy you are when he wants to put knife in your chest. Too. So I, I need the guy on campus. He was a believer. I was in the ECU. He said, we are talking science here. I said, bro, what are you trying to tell me? Are you telling me I don't know what I'm saying? I said, anyway, don't worry. Just hide yourself under the Passover blood and you'll be safe. Do you know this guy foolishly answered me? That are you trying to say the 14,000 people that died did not hide themselves? They did not have Passover blood on them? I said, that's exactly what I said. I wasn't joking anymore. I said precisely what I said. I was so angry. I said, ah. I said, I told him, I said, have you forgotten Egypt? Are you telling me less than 14,000 Egyptian boys died? I said, was it not the angel of death that killed them? I knew it was a Christian, so I picked him and said, what are you trying to tell me? I was really angry. I said, believe, you know, when you have smoked, when they legalize Indian hemp where you live, you will talk anything. You will forget your faith. What are you telling me? And the point I'm making is this. I said, our God, he has angel of death working for him. That is a God I know. We did not want the world. So when bad things happen, they want to blame him as if like he was not doing his duty of protecting them. Tell him that he's the one that killed all of you for legalizing homosexuality. He's the one that killed all of you for legalizing abortion. And listen to me, he will kill more if you don't repent. But we don't want to sound bad. Praise God. You know, God, the devil wants to ruin him, but God, like your friend. There's nothing, there's nothing devil in it. Who is the devil? The devil that comes to God and says, good morning, sir. Can I kill two people? God will say, okay, good. <laughs> and that brother said that if I say like that, it's heresy. What's heresy? Don't you read your Bible? He says to, 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 to Satan, you can touch his flesh, you can't kill him. He tells him, thus far and no further. He's a judge of the living and the dead. Please, people, join me in preaching this thing. Tell people, the soul that sinned, it shall die. It is forbidden for you to preach to an unbeliever that it's a blessing for him. There is no blessing for him. The Bible says, what to him that says to the wicked that he shall be well with him. This was what I was preaching as a young boy. Believe or go to hell. Nobody preaches anymore. We want to, we want to, we want to be, 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 no? be massaging people's back. The fact remains that if you don't believe, you will enter into eternal damnation. He that does not believe is condemned already. Listen to me. God will throw that person and the devil into the lake of fire. I don't know why you're getting my point. Those who reject the son, God will take them and the devil put the two of them into the same lake of fire. The devil has the same fate as them. People are magnifying the devil. No. What Jesus said, don't fear him that can kill the flesh. Fear him that after killing the flesh, he dispatches the soul to hell. Who says the devil that kills the flesh? God kills the flesh too. The Bible says concerning Saul, Saul died for the trespass he committed against the Lord. The part of it I like is where he said, Therefore, God killed him and turned the kingdom over to David. He said, God, 
<laughs> he said it was God that did what? That killed him. How did I get to that? I think I was provoked by the spirit of prophecy. Let me get back to my message. I'm trying to explain to believers. See, if you want to give your life to Christ, give your life to Christ. Said to him, I have died to myself. I have. There is nothing good in me. My own self. Paul said, that my old self has been crucified with what? With whom? With Christ. He now said, but you are seeing me say yes. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is right now, I don't live for myself. He said, henceforth, how did he say it again? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He said, he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You need to tell God, I'm not here to use you to get something. No matter how, pardon me to use, you know, I'm saying some very harsh words today. Because we have nice the gospel in a bad way. We have, you know, listen. There are times you eat the gospel, inside your stomach it becomes bitter. It's not always sweet. That's why I'm using some harsh words. I'm doing it deliberately. We say to the Lord, listen. I'm not using you to make to do prosperity. That's why that gospel of prosperity we have been preaching is a satanic one. You see, Pastor Bank, why are you saying Satan? It is the truth. Satan crept in. You must read your Bible. Satan creeps in. We start with a good gospel. Satan creeps in. He creeps in. He starts teaching us something that's not a true gospel. The gospel of prosperity that we preach most of the time is not the true gospel. It is one that Satan crept in. He saw that liberty, he corrupted it, and we believed it because it produces quicker results. Let me say something to you. The true people that will enter into prosperity, now, there are very few. Right now, there are too few. Most rich people that the church has, has seen, there have been people that came to buy divine protection. Did you hear what I said? You don't get it, all. If you understand, you will have shouted. <laughs> If you understood me, yes. They came to buy divine protection. And their money sometimes has been useful. Sometimes it has created more problems than other things. But God has sorted himself out. I don't know how he sorted himself out, but he's doing it. They have entered into prosperity through the broad gate. They know it is leading to destruction. They now come to the big pastors. Without telling them overtly like this, they say, let us negotiate. What do I need to give to your God to take care of me? Some of these may have plenty of money. Many of us, here, after struggling, 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 at the end of the month, if we make 200,000 naira, we are well paid. And we give a testimony, I got a new job. They started me on 150. After confirmation, it's become 250. Some of these men earn it in billions on a monthly basis. Billions. They put it in bullion van. He said, why? He said, is it your money? Is it your money? If you know the if you know the money some men make, many people came to church. They have plenty of money. They secured the earth. 
But believe me, they know that does not secure eternity. So they came to church and said, what must I do to be saved? And we looked at them and said, bring a tithe and first fruits and you shall be saved. And they are happy. This is sad side. A lot of them will be damned eternally. And God will ask us that this man came to you. What did you tell him? You told him to tithe. Why? Because you saw his tithe is 250 million every month. Then you now lied that we'll use that one to preach the gospel. Basically, you are, you, are used, you, are, you are condemning his soul to save other souls and you think you are wise. I did not give you that right. A lot of the people will find that are rich in the church. There are people going to hell that we are taking advantage of. I'm not lying. What I've told you, listen. Last week here, me and one of our brothers, we sat down here, we're talking. He said something, my heart broke. I said, there's no way, listen to me, Better repent, better repent on behalf of this. This is our senior brothers and some of these are our colleagues. We have done bad, and God will punish us if we don't do something. When he told me that, I said, God, there's no way God will not judge this thing. He said his sister called him and told him something. One girl, a young woman, let me just say girl, in her 30s, developed an aggressive form of breast cancer. So the sister was concerned, called him and said, you, I know you have an answer for me. That is like, what is going on spiritually? He said he spoke and spoke, talked about different things, taught the word of God. And the sister now said, okay, what can she do? No treatment is working. All the human treatment available, none is working. And that's okay. What she can do is that, grab hold of the word of God. Seclude yourself. Feed yourself with the word of God. You know, build up your spirit. You know, you're just, ah. So the sister said, okay, thank you very much. He went and made that one. You know the report he got? The sick young woman said, no, he, she does not worry that he has sowed, she has sowed seed. Don't laugh, because it's not funny. That she has sowed seed. My heart broke. You are dying. And one man said, sow seed. So he said, go and tell her that I, that's what he said. He said, go and tell her that I said she's wasting her time. It will not work. That day I said, there's no way God will not judge this matter. We have done evil because of money. Seed. What rubbish seed? I see them on television saying that you sow a seed for healing. Nonsense. Most that sow those seeds die. But you will never broadcast their testimony. How does the increase the take? I, f- I told him, I said, no, 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 no. we have to pray. If we don't pray, God will punish us. That's why right now, I, I don't care. Anyway, how many times did I tell you I go to somebody's church to go and preach anyway? People don't like, people have told me that I'm causing problems in Enugu before because of this I'm preaching. Now I want to cause more problems. I will go on air now and tell people that you are lying. People's offerings don't save them. David said, if you will accept sacrifices, I will have offered David made it clear, you don't accept those sacrifices. He said in that Psalm 51, he said, what is your sacrifice? It's a contrite and a broken heart. It's a broken spirit you will not reject. He said, listen to this, then I will now offer my sacrifices and you will accept. That's what David said. That is seed, seed we are shouting. He said, don't start with that. You align your life you walk in repentance. You walk humbly before the Lord. How did I get to all of this? 
How did I get it? You know, reading, I can't remember. Now, this time I'm not joking. I can't remember. Anyway, I'll just preach it. The spirit of the prophet now came upon me. Yes, let's just leave it like that. Let's just be prophesying and going on. This is the point I was making. Believers, for us to be useful to God, eh? we just tell God that, listen, I'm nothing. I'm not trying to achieve anything. Those rich people that come to church, like I was saying, that, that's, that's why I went to all of this. Tell them, you know, okay, I, I know the point I was trying to make with their lives. There are many, of, many rich people have come to church. We are milking them. They are goats that Jesus will separate from his sheep at the end. But we are happy to have them with us now because they have large orders. You know, they call order, that is breasts of animals. And they are lactating heavy. So we milk them regularly. We make them regularly. We remove the hair on their bodies. We make clothes for ourselves. And we tell them it is well with them. Meanwhile, these are goats that will be separated. So we have gotten rich on blood money. Literal blood money. We have built buildings on literal blood money. Literal blood money. We have not encountered true prosperity. Let me tell you one of the features about when the church starts prospering in truth. The man who makes this billion in a month that we are talking about, will sit beside you like this, two of you sitting like this, will not be able to tell who he is. Because you'll understand that billion is not supposed to show on me. It's a job I'm doing for God. What's the pandemic? Those are people that have truly discovered heaven's prosperity. Everything they do is an assignment. A lot of people know what they just do. We give God a small portion of money, what we call giving God. They so that he can, he can protect us while we spend the rest. We not like that we have tithed. That's why I have never seen the righteousness in this doctrine of tithing. I've not seen it. It doesn't exist. We can wind it, wind it. There's no righteousness in it. It does more evil than good, the way we preach it. And we can't preach it any other way because of what we are looking for. Because we want to preach the right, the true tither. Read my book. I put it at the back. That's a grace to prosper. Who's the real New Testament tither? In summary, he's the cheerful giver. The old covenant tithing that we preach, which we try to blend into Christianity, of cut 10% of whatever you have for God, is a joke. Most people who practice it, they are buying divine protection. Most who practice it, they are buying more money. The real New Testament tither cannot calculate proportions. He can't. How will she do it? She can't. What's the point I'm making? That when people have died to themselves, in themselves, they've realized that I'm entering whatever I'm entering in life by the narrow gate. What does it mean? If I die in the process, let me die. Listen to me. Most will not die. A few will die, yo. A few will die. In squeezing, in through persecution, a few will die. Jesus said, be faithful unto death. Those who die in the process, don't feel sorry for them. They have gained glory faster than you. Then those who come out at the other end, Jesus cannot do whatever he wants to do with their lives. Because he said, this one has overcome. Remember, we began from overcoming. This one has overcome. Because in the midst of every challenge, that's what God is trying to do. Listen to me. You know what he's doing? He's looking for what? Overcomers. Who are overcomers? Those who stood with him and said, if it is dying, we will die with you. If it is dying, we will die with you. But we will not break the rules that you have given us. 
That's what it means to overcome. When Jesus was speaking, he said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What does that mean? The world has thrown every temptation it has at me. The prince of this world was coming. He had nothing in me. Every time we got to a junction, every time we got to a crossroads, and they said, okay, what is going to happen now? I was careful to fulfill that which was pleasing to the Father. Every result I got in my life, I got through passing through the narrow gate. So he said, be of good cheer, I have overcome. What does it mean? Just follow my path. Follow my footsteps. You also be overcomers too. Listen, let me run it off here. Every decision you are making, ask yourself, what is the overcoming path? It's not a path of prosperity. It's what is the overcoming what? Path. Sometimes when you take the path of the overcomer, physically speaking, you go down. Oh, that's a matter of fact. I like the testimony of our brother all the time. He got a job. A bank employed him. He wanted to move. He gave the place where he was working notice. So. He told them he was going. It's not as if he did not tell them. Yet he saw that in the book that I wrote, Don't Quit the Army, that he was about to walk away from the plan of God. He needed the money. But he dropped the offer. Went back to his secondary school to go and continue teaching. <laughs> Yet the other day, <laughs> a young man that was teaching for my wife <laughs> came to work on Friday. On Monday, he dropped resignation letter effective immediately. When we sent him an email that what you have done is very, very reprehensible. Give me the English, mama. Reprehensible. It's very, very bad. When you are speaking big English, when you confuse yourself. Say the one everybody knows. What you have done is very bad. He said, let us settle this so I can pursue it, go on with my career. I feel like saying you are, you are a spiritual fool. If you knew, this is how you will never make any good career in this life. You can't do this to people and God will give you a good career. He doesn't do that. Another young man had his works. He had given them a point that notice, proper. Everything was properly done. Yet he said, no, I have work to do. My work here is not complete. He went back. In this life, that's why, today I say a lot of things. Christians, one day, wear dirty, smelly shirts. Go around the road, disgrace yourself. When you have been disgraced, then say, God, see, now I'm not worth anything in the eyes of anybody. Can you use me now? All this fine, fine, trying to look prim and proper, trying to prosper, using God to get something, is the reason why we are not useful. Is the reason why he will throw coronavirus over the earth to wake everybody up. What is coronavirus teaching the earth now? All flesh is grass. My friend in the U.S. said, <laughs> he said, this is a great disease. It does not discriminate between the rich and the poor. He said, it's afflicting both and killing both. He won't say, are you rich, are you poor? We are rich, I will leave you alone. He takes very rich people, puts them on the bed, punishes them for a week, and kills them at the end. Everybody's waking up to realize that all flesh is what? Grass. I'm sure there are people on their beds right now, sick bed, and looking at all the evil they have done in their lives. And say, God, so this is where the $10 million I kept, you won't even let me spend it. And the angel, that, you know, these angels can be very, very funny. The ones that want to kill him will stand there. And when the angel wants to kill you, you can't do anything. We're doing a sword like this. Angel, $10 million. Have it in the bank. How much do you want? Angel is smiling. <laughs> and then the angel will carry his sword. Put it in his chest. He will go into eternal damnation with all this money on the earth. And you now realize that all flesh is what? Grass. 
People are realizing it every day. And God wants his people to realize it so that they can be useful to him. That's what I'm preaching. That is my whole preaching. That's my preaching. God is looking for people. I talked about that prosperity as an example. He said, Banky, it's been hard for me to find. It's been hard because if they give an offering of maybe 50 million naira, they actually feel good. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They feel like they've done me a favor. I give to God. They now assume that I must take care of their children. I must take care of their health. Why should I be sick after I give God my land? Which if I have sold, I will have sold for a great sum like Ananias and Sapphira. Why should I be sick? After all, all the investment I made in that company, I decided to give it to God. God should be grateful. We're not for people like me who will preach this gospel with which money. God should be grateful. And you know who makes them feel like that? Me and you will be preaching lies to them. That when you sow a great seed, heaven will move. Listen to me, heaven is tired of our lies. So if I hear any pastor talk that nonsense again, I will make you an example. I will make you an example. Teach people to die to self. They are not doing me a favor. I sent them on an errand. The money is not his own. If I tell you use it one way, use it that way, and come back and say, I have done what you exactly told me to do. I am nothing, using King James, but an unprofitable servant. Those are the people that God uses. Let me end it here. Every challenge in life, God says, check what is my portion. Check what I want you to do. Check that which is pleasing to me. Forget about the results. Don't run away from challenges. Overcome them. You know, in this world today, you know what's going on? Which is why God sent coronavirus. One of the reasons. You go to those countries, you know why people divorce themselves? They can't handle challenges. Yes. Sometimes the children walk away from school. They can't. You know, some children are so spoiled. Please don't spoil your children. Make sure they wake up early. Do household chores before they go to school. Because some children, they get to university. Suddenly, the work is too much for them. They do not start having the Lord spoke to me to leave school. You know what they could not do? Handle the challenges. Those are the Christian ones. The Muslim ones, the unbelieving ones. The ones who are not Christians. They just walk away. Say they have, they have that Bill Gates did not finish school. Michael Dell did not finish school. Did uh, Facebook finish? With, okay, Mark Zuckerberg did not finish school. Education is not for those who are going somewhere. One young man wrote a book once. He said, I should please help him. Go, uh, I should forward, write forward. I mean, I don't write forward for anybody because I don't know you. Are you getting my point? And I said, well, let me read the book. I read through it. I looked at the young man. Are you okay? I said, who told you these lies you wrote down? I told him like that. I said, what kind of nonsense is all of this? He said, if you want to be rich in life, don't go to school. I said, are you, are you normal? What are you? Have you been, are you even rich? What do you know about being rich? Listen, go to school. You know why you should go to school? It doesn't make people rich. It makes them disciplined. Go to school. It doesn't make you rich. It makes you enlightened. Go to school. It opens your mind. It helps you wake up. So one day my son, my, my wife said she's going to wake him up. I said, where are you going? 2 a.m. or so. He said, the boy said, 
she should wake him up. I said, is he going to Harvard? GSS what that time? It was not GSS 2. The boy read, he was sleepy, went and told the mother, please, I, need, I have more to read, but I'm sleepy. I want to go and sleep. Wake me up at 2 a.m. So when the mother got up, I said, wait, oh, is it Harvard entrance exam? Is that tomorrow? She got my point. I said, no, this is too much. Next morning, the boy woke up. He saw it was morning. Till I dropped him off in school, his face was still squeezed. The boy had learned to wake up. That's what education does for you. There are times I come out. Come to you, you see light is on. 3 a.m. What are you doing? And I, they have tests tomorrow. He did not finish reading this one. So once you quickly finish, because there was a time they would come for prayer in the morning. The guy is half awake. Why are you still sleepy? So after I told their mother, these children are not writing Harvard entrance. This is GSS 2. That's what education does for you. It doesn't make you rich. It makes you disciplined. Then when you are disciplined, you can pursue the visions of God. No matter how anointed you are, if you are not disciplined, failure is your portion. There are many anointed failures in this life. They are anointed, but they fail. Ken Higgins said, there are many preachers here have seen either they are not called or they are hopelessly unfaithful. And many people, their parents train them to be unfaithful. I'm telling you, they can't take any beating. They can't take hardship. One brother in school does this. Anything you tell him to do, he can leave. If, God, if Jesus said, I'm coming tomorrow, keep the door open for me. If he's hungry, he'll go and eat. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If they want to give birth to Mary, that is, Jesus said, I'm going to be delivered tomorrow. Mary is going to be in labor. You'll be the one to open the door to the manger. He go, look, when it's eating time, he will leave that place and go and eat. When you come back and say, oh boy, you were supposed to man this place. I remember when we were in school, you say, I went to eat. <laughs> you don't get it. You say, I went to eat. And you're like, excuse me, that's supposed to be a valid excuse. You know what? He grew up thinking that once I'm hungry, every other thing can wait. So one day we had a drama in school. We had rehearsed though. It was, it was playing a critical role. Outreach, a fellowship program. We had invited people. Let's assume his name is Mike. His name was not Mike, just to tell you Mike. After a while, where is Mike? Where is Mike? And then we had a funny habit. If we say our program is five, it's five. We didn't use to waste time. And then me and my friend, Chooks, we had learned some things. If we say we are doing drama, 15 minutes after you arrive in fellowship, drama has taken off. We don't have all these special numbers. No, you came for a drama program. We start by five. We still open a prayer. Say one or two, sing one or two songs. Quarter past, drama has begun. That program was 7 p.m. at night. We look for Michael. Look for Mike. It was 7 o'clock. Finally, we had a quick meeting. We rearranged the cast because we all knew the rules. So then we say, okay, Chooks, you take this one. This one, you take this one. Okay, you will now be this. You will be this person. This is Riaza we have done for weeks. The man went to eat. <laughs> when he came to his shock, he didn't know the kind of discipline the other people had. So his shock, he saw the drama going on. His student was looking. I said, Mike, where did you go? I was hungry. I went to eat. A drama you had rehearsed for four weeks. You did not participate in it because you went to eat. That is what going to school does for you. It doesn't make you rich. It gives you discipline. 
It helps you. It makes you useful for God. That's what it does. How do I can do that? You know, I keep on saying things I don't even know. I hope you have been blessed anyway. That's the most important. The Holy Spirit has a mouth to use. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. What are we talking about? Overcomers. Challenges will come into our lives, we must overcome. In this season, we must overcome. You have to make decisions, you must overcome the pressures of natural life. Money will come into your life, God will say, sit down, plan, spend, let me see. Natural things will come to say, do it this way, but you must overcome. What are you overcoming? Every voice that says, do it the way of the flesh. What are you overcoming? Everything that's telling you, satisfy the flesh. Don't satisfy the will of God. I was giving marriage as an example. People are walking out of marriages every day because they can't do what? They can't overcome. They can't take pressure. They can't take inconveniences. They have to be happy. Make other people sad. Thereafter, we are so used to irresponsible children who became adults. Who cannot, they will not rewrite the laws. That if you and your wife don't agree, they'll divorce. I've preached enough. Let's bow down here. Let us pray. Let's continue to, let's thank the Lord for the word that we've heard this evening. Say, Lord, I thank you. Thank you because my particular of this word. I'd like us to take just one prayer point and we'll pray, Lord, if there is any gates I've entered wrongly, begin to point those gates to me so that we can repent and if there are things that we need to do to go through the proper gate. Why pastor was teaching, he said, those gates will not produce anything good for us. So let's just ask that the Holy Spirit will point out, you know, those gates we have entered wrongly. Let's pray. Say, Lord, those gates I have entered wrongly. There are decisions actually that we made. That actually, you know, gave us quick results. Let's just ask and say, Lord, every gate I have entered wrongly. Maybe it was a deal you sealed and it gave you quick result. Let's just ask the Lord that what he wants from us is repentance. We know that. But let's ask that he will show us those gates again by the Spirit so that we can repent well. So that we can repent. So that we can repent. We just say, Lord, we are sorry. We are sorry. We did that under pressure. We did that without knowledge. We did that of the flesh and we come to you in repentance.